Love heals the scars, part two. Agape is the healer on the journey. Now, I have too much again, unfortunately, but um, I was given a devotion this morning from Kathy that she read, and I wanted to start our time off with this devotion and prayer. It was just, it fit so well. So I'm just going to share this with you to begin our time. The late, great Dallas Willard once asked, if he had just one word to describe Jesus, what would it be? Willard paused and smiled, relaxed. I love that. He replied, Jesus Christ was relaxed. With just three years to save the planet, Jesus still found the time to attend parties and go fishing. <laughs> this means that he was officially less busy than the average pastor. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to make real or take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That is an awesome translation. Father, Help me today, to, yeah, today of all days. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, this is to me now. Father, help me today to relax and rest as you rested, honoring your creation with my recreation, expressing my trust through rest, and in all I do, saying with you, it is good. It is good. It is good. Sounds like my communion line when I had the bread. Mm. Inside, in the silence of this moment, I remember the church gathering today all around the world, asking that the house of God would increasingly become a house of prayer for every nation. Father, thank you for your, beautifully multi, your beautiful multicultural intergenerational family gathering today in so many countries. Deliver us, we pray, from dead religion and empty ritual. Instead, may our eyes be open to see spiritual realities. May our prayers rise before your throne like incense. And may our faith today put a smile on your face as you somersault with us. <laughs> as we gather today, may preachers and worship leaders step out, into the, step out of the limelight into the twilight to fix the spotlight entirely upon you love that. I take a moment now to earth these big prayers locally, lifting my own leaders before the Lord and asking him to focus my own church family more lovingly on Jesus. A Sabbath blessing. May this day bring Sabbath rest to my heart and my home. May God's image in me be restored and my imagination in God be restoried. May the gravity of material things be lightened and the relativity of time slow down. May I know grace to embrace my own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. May God's word feed me and his spirit lead me into the week, into the life to come. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you, Kathy, for saying that. Was, oh, man, that was good. So I'm going to warn you, there's a lot of heavy stuff today. It's just, it's like deep, like you get it. It's not just a nice, telling nice 
Bible story. It's, this is like deep thinking, potentially. And it's just the way it's been this week for me. Things that made me pause and ponder this week. The power of the pause allows wisdom rather than ego to talk. Kind of connected to rest, in a way. An unhealed person can find offense in pretty much anything someone does. A healed person understands that the actions of others have nothing to do with them. Each day, you will get to decide which one you will be. This one's huge. This one's really huge because if we're not in the place of rest, in the security of our identity in Christ, we're going to be in resting in an insecurity of our ego, listening to external voices. That's why this one makes so much sense. Love the next one. Today I learned about a term called a glimmer, which is the opposite of a trigger. Glimmers are those moments in your day that make you feel joy, happiness, peace, or gratitude. Once you train your brain to be on the lookout for glimmers, these tiny moments will appear more and more. I had one this morning, just the way watching the sun come up. Came around the corner slowly, because I always drive slow. Came around the corner, and boom, there's a big ball of sun coming up because it's long road. It just happened to be right on that part. And I was like, oh, wow, that was really cool. Thank you, God. That was really, to me, it was neat. Little, little things like that. Glimmers. Seeing kindness being acted out in someone else, and you're watching from a distance, a glimmer. You know, it, it's, it's crazy, but I thought that was really good. And this is a prayer for our world today in light of all that's going on. God, grant that this tragic midnight of man's inhumanity to man will soon pass, and the bright daybreak of freedom and brotherhood will come into being. There's so much war and hurt and pain and loss going on right now. I thought that was a really, really great statement. This is from Archbishop Desmond Tutu. I don't preach a social gospel. I preach the gospel, period. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is concerned for the whole person. When people were hungry, Jesus didn't say, now, is that political or social? He said, I feed you, because the good news to a hungry person is bread. And we need to learn what the needs are of those around us, so we, how, so we know how best to love and respond. This is from Richard Rohr. The theological virtue of hope is the patient and trustful willingness to live without closure. That, that made me, I had to stop and reread that a couple of times is the patient and trustful willingness to live without closure. Oh my goodness, we want closure. We want to see an end to every conversation. We want answered to every question. We, we have questions for God. What about this? Why, 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 why? But as we live in the acknowledgement and awareness of, the, of Christ in us, oh my goodness, things change. Without resolution and still be content and even happy because our satisfaction is now at, the, at another level, and our source is beyond ourselves. This is looking, again, at Christ in us. I know, it, it's, the way it's worded, you have to think. It's not a, this is not a children's book. 
This, this is like adult stuff. And this is how we live. Some of these may not hit you at all. It might be too hard. You just go, go on to the next. So fine, I will. C.E.W. Green writes this. This is deep. This can be hard to understand, but it's good. We do not find truth by denying the questions that arise, especially not questions about the character of God, but by living with those questions courageously and patiently. We do not find truth by crucifying our intellect, but by yielding our minds and hearts to the crucified one. And I was thinking of children for this one. I know it's a big adult statement, but children have questions galore about everything, especially at certain ages. <laughs> Some of you parents remember at certain stages, like, oh my goodness, you take over, they're asking so many questions. Or Lori would always say, how come, you know, why aren't you around when, when they're asking questions about God? How come I got to deal with those? <laughs> it's, just, it's just fun because I'm, you know. But here, the questions can't be written off. There are answers. Be adult enough to say, I don't know the answer. I think that's really important because none of us know all the answers at any one time or ever. But to give permission to children, to a teen, to anybody asking, somebody that's now questioning their faith again, they've grown up in the church, but now they're questioning, hang on, what about this, what about that? There's room for the questions. We don't come into church and go, la, 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 check your brain at the door and just regurgitate whatever's shared. This is about engaging in the content and finding your understanding that may need some maturing, that may need some de-weeding, which is, I think, a great way to put it. We're, de- we're, we're de-weeding the garden of our theology. <laughs> which brings us to Robert Capon. This is deep. By the way, I had two or three others that were really good and deep, but I'm just going to post them online this afternoon anyway. There's just too much to read. There's just too much. This is a deep, deep one. But all the while, there was one thing we most needed even from the start, and certainly will need from here on out into the new Jerusalem, into our future. The ability to take our freedom seriously and act on it. To live not in fear of mistakes, but in the knowledge that no mistake can hold a candle to the love that draws us home. My repentance, accordingly, is not so much for my failings, but for the two-bit attitude towards them by which I made them more sovereign than grace. Grace, the imperative to hear the music not just listen for errors, makes all infirmities occasions of glory. (laughs) Okay, that's enough of the heavy, heavy. But those got me. Those really, just the way the week went with people I bumped into and sitting through stories of loved ones lost and oh my goodness, it'll humble you anytime. If you ever sit with somebody grieving, especially right at the start of of a crisis, a blindside. The little science school answers don't work anymore. And they just need to be heard and be loved. And it's also not necessarily the time for full answers. It just isn't. I, I tell people all, that, all the time, so why did God let this happen? Well, we'll talk about that later. Right now, God's not absent. That's what I keep saying. God's not absent from this, and we can't understand it all. Right now, you need to grieve. And we're going to try and do this. So that's, 
I think it's a big thing. Second devotional. This is uh, uh, Brad Jerzak wrote this the other day, and uh, I grabbed it and created a meme, so I'll have that in the meme section uh, later. But this was really cool about theology, uh, pondering about theology. So it's not really devotional, but it's more of a ponder, but it's Brad's ponder. All theologies are construct developed by people. Okay, that's what theology is. All people, including me, Brad says, but all of us. All of our theology are constructs we have developed, whether it's from bringing in other sources or whatever. Theologies are, by the way, theology kind of means the study of God, who is God, understanding God. So that's the term theology is how do we understand God in salvation? How do we understand God in end times? How do we understand God? So that's what theology is. Everybody's got it. Whether they, if they say they don't believe in God, that's a theology. Theologies are simply <coughs> inferred reflections and personal projections of our individual and communal perceptions and experiences. It's part of being human. Each of us composes and sings our song of and to the divine. That's fine. Sometimes those songs are achingly beautiful. Sometimes they're cruel and ugly. The sad reality is that so many divinize their theology or ideology, seek to impose it, and fashion into a bludgeon of exclusion. (sighs) If you caught that... Holy smokes. The mystical, the recognition of mystery, streams of, so the mystical streams of most faiths call out that misuse of theology as an egoist barrier to the beloved. Salvation is not found in my assent to any theological assertion, but in the infinite love of whatever or whomever the divine beloved is and isn't. In my song of the beloved, Jesus showed us this way, this truth, this life. But it's not my song that saves me. Ooh. But the one to whom I sing it imperfectly. And yes, this too is my construct. I do not know it in the way I know theological propositions. I know it in the way I trust that my mother loves me and would, and has, laid down her life for me. And I don't know the limits of such love because they are, by nature, higher, wider, longer, and deeper than any of my rational and relational capacities. But in my song, I've come to believe God is love. I know it's a lot. You probably have to go back and reread it because it's it's so intense. Dave, can you grab me a water water bottle? It's in the top shelf of the cupboard beside the... uh, um, uh, fridge. But let's dig into this love heals the scars, and agape does it. Agape is the healer on the journey. What is agape? Anybody remember what agape is? Love. And it's other-centered love. It's not just human love. Thank you so much. Um, it's, it's, it's other-centered love. It's the, it basically, God is defined as love. God is love, and this is the love he is, is agape. And I believe it's agape that does the real healing. God. When we are physically hurt, we tell the doctor what happened to us so the doctor knows how to best treat us. They need to know how you broke your arm, how you got that (coughs) 
a really big cut because they'll tell them what to look for, what has to be cleaned out, and so on. Like, that's why talking about being hurt matters in every context. When we're emotionally hurt or traumatized, often there's a need to tell the therapist what happened so they can know best how to treat you. That doesn't mean drudging up the past and, and going through every micro detail, which some therapists do, but sometimes helpful, sometimes not as helpful, depending on the situation. Depends how deep the wound. But agape, love, is the safest one to have on the healing journey with us, helping us remember who the healer is and that the healer is safe. We bring the healer with us. We bring agape with us as we go to the doctor. We take agape with us because we're never separated from agape when we see a therapist and get some emotional therapeutical healing. We bring agape with us when we're looking for some spiritual healing because we've been so abused in certain situations. But recognizing agape lives in us so we don't forget. Last week we talked about remembering. We can't forget who lives in us. It's easy to do that because we're distracted with squirrels constantly. <coughs> I didn't see any today, but they're sure in here somewhere. They're in the wires, I think. But the idea of those distractions can cause us to not remember the core of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Each one of us have a different lens on this. So I want to take a look at a couple stories. And I'll, we won't get through all of it, but I'll do my best. Joshua 1.9, because I love this one. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And now people take this and claim and go, ha ha, this is my verse. And you can do that. But who's it said to? Anybody know? Joshua. This is an ancient text describing a conversation between an angel of the Lord and Joshua. So to say I'm claiming that, that's nice, but you can't overdo that. There's still truth in it. This, this, it's this one, this particular one, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, is for all of us. It really is. But they didn't know it back then because their understanding of their theology was so messed up. They were pounded by multiple religions back then. They had baby sacrifice. They had firstborn sacrifice. They had horrific beliefs back then and took almost through the whole Old Testament to start to strip away those things like that video you saw. Um, I encourage you to watch the... In fact, I'll probably send out you the link. I'm going to do that this week. I want you to see at the end of the Still Growing Grace conversation about maturity, there is a 15-minute clip, a, a, an excellent illustration of how God progressively is revealed throughout the Old Testament. It's so important. It's my favorite clip on that topic. It was the first one that really made it click. So here, here we have Joshua, but something else happens here. The whole walls of Jericho thing has happened, and <clears throat> now they're, they're, they're doing this thing. When they, or has it happened yet? No, I don't think so. So when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, because this is at flood time. So they're heading towards Jericho now. That's right. They're heading to Jericho, and now they're crossing the Jordan. Uh, it's flood level, but the water split. It was like, remember the Red Sea story? It's just a, this is a mini version of it with a river. Um, but it still happened. Uh, now choose 12 men from each tribe. Tell them, 
take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing, because they're still standing in the middle of the, of the river, um, carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So carry and lug these huge rocks all the way to camp. Great. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each tribe of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone. Did he tell them what size? Ha, he didn't. Anyway, carry it up on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Now, we have memorials all the time. We have memorial items. We have these boxes of stuff that we fill with items that remind us of the ones we've lost, those that have died. We have tombstones to remember those we lost. We have memorial services. Every Sunday we have a memorial to remember loved ones here who've lost their loved ones. So we remember together because this is how we remember. Remembering is important. Some people are really uncomfortable with that. I said, no, I don't want to deal with that. Nope, I'm just going to think forward, just forward. Well, why are you doing that? There's a there's something else going on why you're unwilling. Because in our maturity, and you get the smaller folks, you can, you'll learn a lot from people older than you. There's an importance and a value to remembering. It keeps us humble. We learn lessons from those things. Because I bet you the children later, they didn't know what, the, what it really meant. But those that were there that day, they sure saw it in freaky-tiki fashion. It was like, oh my goodness, Seeing all that, they'll never forget that. But the story kept going. So the power of remembering, and sometimes we do that with trauma, sometimes we do that with uh, victories, we do that with trophies, we do that with awards. We do it all the time, you just may not realize it. Deuteronomy 6.12 says, Be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from the slavery in the land of Egypt. You see, they were suffering. They were in pain in Israel. They were being suppressed, beaten, many killed. And God rescued them according to the narrative we have. This is the way the story played out. They needed healing. They needed healing from the trauma of the abuse, the oppression. Remember, they lived in Israel, or sorry, in Egypt because of Joseph having saved Egypt with those seven years of famine, all that stuff. And then Egypt just kept having more and more people, and they almost started to take over. It was a threat to Egypt. That's why they were made captives. Deuteronomy 8.2 from the message says, Remember every road that God led you on for those 40 years in the wilderness, pushing you to your limits, testing you so that he would know what you were made of, whether you would keep his commands or not. The focus is here not about this, but it's about the remember. And we can do that too. We need to remember the road that God has brought us on. There are some really awful roads. God was not absent on them. But there are great roads too. There are people in your life that have influenced you in a good way. Some have influenced you in a bad way. 
but remember those that have been used by God to encourage you. There's a lot more people like that than you realize. I still thank pastors and teachers and people who have influenced me. Even one person from my old church that I grew up in, Central Baptist, you know, uh, which is now another name. But there were people I bump into that were a positive influence on me when I was a kid. And when, once in a while when I see them, I thank them. Say, you were a great positive role model for me because you didn't pull my ear and spank me. No, I'm going Others did. But the whole idea was they had this gentleness about them that I trusted. There's a few people like that, and you see them in different places. You know who they are. This one's really cool. But I'm going to read it from the First Nations translation, which some of you like and some don't, and that's okay. And I'll tell you why I like it today. But we're going to take a look at the road to Amos because the trauma the disciples had just experienced was the brutal killing of Jesus. We talk about it on Good Friday, you know, he, he was whipped and all that stuff. But when you look at it humanly, imagine you witnessing your best friend being bludgeoned and nailed and you were helpless. And there's nothing you could do. The trauma of the lost, the one you put so much hope in. Some of them for two years they spent with Jesus. Maybe three, I don't know. Not all of them were with him the whole time. But the trauma of a sudden death. Oh my goodness. After watching Jesus do so many amazing things they've never seen before. Killed. Unjustly. So this is the trauma of these two people walking down this road. By, this is called the road to Amos, which is the road to warm springs. So the First Nations translation, even the repeat of Creator Sets Free, reminds us not only that they're referring to Jesus, but what Jesus does. The one thing I enjoy about the First Nations version, which is counterintuitive to my personality, because mine's a zoom, you know, go fast. This translation slows us down to think about the words more if you're trying to read it as a study Bible, good luck. This is a devotional, slower, feel the text translation rather than just rip it through from information. That's why I like it when they constantly repeat, creator sets free. When you see these other names all through this text I'm about to read, slow down and realize there's meaning to names, which I hope to talk on soon again. But let's get into the story as I read it slowly. On the same day, two of the followers of Creator Sets Free, Jesus, were walking to the village of Warm Springs, Amos, seven miles out from Village of Peace, Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about all that had happened. Creator Sets Free, Jesus, came alongside them as they walked. But their eyes were kept from seeing who he was. Pause there. <laughs> I love that line. He was playing hide and seek with his friends. <laughs> but I think he had a purpose. He had a much different understanding and, and perceiving ability now that he was raised from the dead. He wasn't living out of his humanity alone. He was now living out of his divinity while still being human. It's a powerful picture. So this is on purpose. He kept them from seeing who he was. Sometimes we try to help others see who Jesus is. We're trying to get a truth pounded into them. Stop it. 
I'm learning that too. Stop. We're not good at it. The Holy Spirit is. If we're not sensing a receptivity to that conversation, don't engage it just to be right. Engage in being loving. And it's Jesus who's going to peel the veil back. Not you with your wonderful words and great arguments and apologetics and theology and degree you may have and years of experience. I've been in the church this many years. Who cares about all that? None of that matters. We're all equal as we're one in Christ. That's it. There's no pedigree. He kept their eyes from seeing who he was. And he said to them, what are you talking about? I think he knew. They stopped walking and a look of sadness fell over their faces. It was like a, a stopped walking shock of, what? You don't know? And one of the men, honored by his father, Cleopas, answered him, how can you not know about the things that have happened in the village of peace, Jerusalem? You must be coming from far away. What things are you talking about, he asked. Now that's cheeky, Okay. <laughs> Imagine, just, just for fun, he, Jesus has to have humor. He created it. Just look at Brent, right? So, <laughs> God loves humor. He does cartwheels. So, for him, he is doing something here that we can, we can guess all we want. But in my fun guessing, he's actually wanting them to express so deeply because he knows the reveal is coming. Curtain number one is going to be peeled open at the right time towards the end of this text. It's pretty cool. What are you talking about? He asked. About creator sets free Jesus from seed planter village, Nazareth. He was a prophet from the great spirit with powerful medicine who did many good things among all the people. The head holy men and other leaders handed him over to the people of iron, Romans, to be put to death on the cross. We had hoped that he would free the tribes of wrestles with creator, Israel, from the people of iron, the Romans. Pause. All right, this is so big because even they and all those that they just described what most of the Israelites believed. They believed that the Savior was coming to free them, not from sin or the illusion of what's going on there, but they thought they were going to be set free from the Romans from being held captive because the history shows they were set free from Egypt. That's their plumb line. They're used to being set free in their history, being set free from oppressors. So they thought, oh, this is another story of being free from oppressors. Oh my, they didn't have a clue of what the oppressor was or who the oppressor was. They thought they're going to be set free from the Romans. All right? Are you catching that? Okay. It is now the third day since they killed him on the cross. But today... Some women told us an amazing story. Early this morning, they went to his burial grave and found that his body was not there. They told us about visions of spirit messengers who told them he was alive. Angels, in case you didn't catch that. Some of our men went to see with their own eyes and found the empty cave, but they did not see Creator sets free, Jesus. Why 
are your hearts so slow to believe the words of the prophets, he said. It should be clear to you that the chosen one would suffer first before he would be lifted up. Hang on a second. Did I just? Nope, good. Okay, sorry. Um, it should be clear to you that the chosen one should suffer first before he would be lifted up and honored above all. So creator sets free, Jesus told them his story. Beginning withdrawn from the water, Moses, and all the prophets, he showed them how all the ancient sacred teachings were written about the chosen one and pointed the way to him. They did not know it was creator sets free, Jesus talking to them. If there is a place in history that I would love to jump to, it'd be right there. To have the actual interpreter explain, okay, I'm having a hard time understanding this Old Testament stuff. Yes, I understand some levels of, it's all connected to Jesus, but when you have the actual interpreter telling the real story of what is connected, it wasn't written down. Couldn't they remember it? Just, ah, well, it would have been awesome to have that in there. But they didn't. He showed them how it all was woven together. And so for some who are on a binge of tossing your Old Testament, because some folks who are unlearning are pendulum swinging that far, too far, Jesus didn't. And some who are tossing the whole Bible, it's too far. Pendulum swing the other way, too far. Jesus sees how this comes together. And let the Holy Spirit be the one to guide you. If you have to toss all that stuff, that's your journey, and you have full freedom to do that, you're not going to offend God. (laughs) You aren't. He's bigger than your hissy fit. (laughs) And I love that. As they entered the village, (coughs) he walked on as if to go further. This is another little cheeky thing he does. He's kind of like, you going to ask me? You know, and he did. And they said to him, hey, whoa, whoa, please stay with us. It's late. The sun will set soon. So he said, oh, okay, I'll go with you. (laughs) It's just so funny when you, because we have the text after it's all happened, right? It's so funny. So he went into the lodging house with them. When they sat down to eat a meal together, creator sets free, Jesus, took some fry bread. I love that. Into his hands. He gave thanks and broke it, giving each of them a piece. Suddenly, their eyes were opened and they knew who he was. But he vanished right in front of them. How fair is that? Oh, seriously? I was going to, I have a list of questions now. You thought I had questions before. Come on. Like, imagine. Well, uh, sure, there's some super excitement because they didn't finish their meal. They got up right away and took off. (laughs) The men looked at each other in wide-eyed wonder, what? And said, uh, it felt like our hearts were on fire when he was talking to us on the road. Glimmer. There's a glimmer example. Something inside, something was, there's something 
true here. I can't explain. There's something my spidey senses are telling me something, if you want to go that far. But there's, there's something internally, an energy you feel. There's something turning here. There's something good about the person we're with, because you can feel people's energy, can't you? You can tell when someone's really negative. You can tell when someone's pretty positive. But they sense something in their hearts. They looked at each other with wide-eyed wonder. Unless you're in the King James. And they looked each other in the eye. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, showing us, oops, hang on. Um, our hearts were on fire when he was talking about with us on the road, showing us the meaning of the sacred teachings. <laughs> they got up without finishing their meal and walked back. I thought they would have... <clears throat> okay, as fast as they could, fine. <clears throat> they walked back to the village of peace, Jerusalem, as fast as they could, for the sun was setting. So, remember, they were walking to AMS, invited Jesus to come hang out because the sun was setting, and so they already arrived. And how many miles? I think it was seven. <laughs> they bolted right back. <laughs> and Jesus was there for that trip. We don't think about that part very often. Jesus cared enough to do a Casper move right there as they're walking. Who were these people? Wouldn't he have done that with Mary? Wouldn't he have done it with some of the disciples? Why did he do it to these two? We don't know. And that's part of the mystery we need to embrace. Why would God give a revelation to that person, not me? How many times you hear someone's story and go, man, why can't I get a story like that? Or why can't I get a revelation like them? And then we hunger for the revelation and not Jesus. Big difference. Jesus cares about more people than you possibly believe. He cares even more about the people you don't care about until you care about them too. He's going to keep caring. Because as we grow in our love and understanding of who God is, we're going to become loving people. Fruit of Christ in us. They were saying, our wisdom keeper is alive. He has shown himself to the one who hears, Simon. So the two men told them what happened on the road and how their eyes were opened when Creator sets free Jesus, broke the fried bread into pieces. <laughs> and here's the lesson. Agape was on the journey. Jesus was on the journey with them, on the journey of healing, like he will be with you. There are some other verses to remember, but we're not going to do that because we haven't got time. But love, agape, will heal the, heal the scars. It may not remove the scar, but the pain of it, I believe the healing will come. The intensity will heal. I think it's Quite revealing when Jesus came to Thomas. I hear you doubt. I heard you may have said something like, until I put my finger in his things and my hand in his side, I ain't going to believe. I might have heard that. So here I am. Here's my scars. Jesus was resurrected, but the holes were there. What is with that? Why? What about the side? That's different. We pray for healing, don't we? We pray for all kinds of healing, but we have a concept in our head of what that healing should look like, and then we're upset when it doesn't happen that way. 
huh, we have much to learn of what healing means. Oh, that means, by the way, the word healing is the same as salvation. Sozo. Look that up. Find out what sozo means and how it's used in Scripture. Your eyes are going to be open to a more hope-filled perspective of who God is and how he loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your grace inspire us. May your message and revelation of hope become music in us. May it dance in our minds. Teach us how to do cartwheels like children again. Teach us how to love like you. Show us how to see others as you do. And may we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of who you really are.